You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. What can Scott Frost do for Nebraska to revive that program? You know, I think the fact that Scott played at Nebraska and has um, had an amazing uh, series of successes as a young coach uh, really breathes uh, a lot of enthusiasm into the fan base, proven young coach, familiar with their history, and uh, I think that probably has inspired their fan base now. Uh, I think Scott's success uh, as a player, as an assistant coach, and as a head coach has, you know, uh, captured the imagination, passion, and enthusiasm of, of the fan base. I think the people in Nebraska know him. They trust him. He understands Nebraska. He understands what they're all about. You know, he's, he's been there. He grew up with it. Uh, he did it at the highest level. So, you know, the people in the state, the fans are sitting there looking. That He's one of ours. You know, it goes all the way back. I played with his father. I, I know how, how much Nebraska football meant to the state of Nebraska because I was a kid that grew up there. The hopes of the state, the identity of the state are wrapped up in Nebraska football. Mine was when I was little. I think the intimate knowledge helps you. It's it's helped me from a standpoint that I know, like I've said a bunch of times, a lot of the things that made Nebraska special. What helped Nebraska be elite. And maybe coaches that didn't grow up and see that or weren't around Coach Osborne might not know those things. Um, So in some ways it's been really helpful. We know we're carrying the mantle and the hopes of a lot of Nebraskans and, and we're gonna do the absolute best we can with it. And welcome to this special edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Robin Washed as we are going to break down everything that happened in Chicago this past week at the Big Ten Media Days. And we have lots to discuss, Robin, as uh, Nebraska was there Monday and Tuesday. Uh, Primarily spoke to the media, though, on Monday. Um, You heard from Scott Frost, Jim Delaney, Barry Alvarez. And, you know, when when you look at it overall, Frost was as big of a story as there was in Chicago. I mean, there were a lot of things going on. The pressure on Jim Harbaugh uh, going into this season. Obviously, Ohio State's always a story. James Franklin's always great. But just the newness of Scott Frost to the league, what he brought, his confidence, his overall presentation. I mean, everything he brought to the table, I thought it was very impressive to just kind of watch it all play out. Well, for a guy who has never coached a game in this conference and has been uh, coaching a Big Ten school for, what, about seven months, uh, he is already a heavyweight in the Big Ten conference, and there's no question about it. Uh, I mean, he was the topic of conversation literally from the very first question fielded by Jim Delaney. Um, Multiple other coaches addressed him, uh, either welcoming him to the conference or referencing him uh, in other questions uh, at the main stage, you know, podium interviews. Uh, And then you just saw the swarm of media around him, not only from the local contingency, uh, not only from the Big Ten contingency, but nationally as well. Um, Maybe second only to Urban Meyer uh, was the crowd around Scott Frost. And um, that presence that we've all come to know and love that he's shown already and that confidence uh, really carried over into his official debut in the Big Ten spotlight. And um, you know, assuming he can back it up on the field, which you know, there's no reason to believe he can't, um, he is well on his way to being one of the faces of the Big Ten Conference for years to come. And I, I think what's different about him, you know, P.J. Fleck, you could argue, well, he took Western Michigan to the Cotton Bowl and they played Wisconsin tight and, you know, he, he played Division One football as well. I, there's just something still different to me about Scott Frost than a guy like P.J. Fleck a year ago just – his overall presentation, his level of yeah. professionalism. He doesn't need to wear purple pants or goofy Jim Harbaugh glasses up front. And, um, you know, he, he just knows how 
um, to present himself and, and convey a message, and he looks the part. The players respect him. He's not cheesy. Um, and I think the element of him being a player's coach just as much as um, you know his handle on the game of football, who he's worked with as a coach uh, the last 10-plus 10, 10 years – um, just his ability to to relate to the player, I think, is as strong of a of a quality as he's brought. Well, that confidence he exudes is undeniable. Um, but it's a fine line between being confident and being arrogant. And Frost isn't arrogant. I mean, he'll tell you exactly what he feels, and it's a very you know self assured in his, in his own abilities. Uh, but he's not going out there and being over the top you know with pj fleck it feels like he's trying to sell you a used volvo with jim harbaugh he's bringing out props and doing all sorts and of I, wacky I feel like stuff. that's like not really him yeah like, it's I, an I think act and it's, so it's, it's not genuine and so you like can't Bo buy Polini, into it. like bo Pelini with the cat and all that that wasn't bo Pelini. he was trying to like fix his image and i don't know what jim harbaugh is trying to do yeah <laughs> and there's, there's a reason that act is wearing thin and so scott frost yeah he, he's got a presence about him but it is 100 percent authentic and i think that is what is a big difference in his uh, persona than any other coach well most every other coach uh, in, in this conference and you know in high major college football and so I mean that's kind of a, a, the reason why I say that as long as the wins come along with it um, he's got a chance to you know not only represent the Big Ten as you know one of the figureheads in this conference but be a national uh, piece to in the college football ranks I was overhearing some conversations from guys from like the sporting news who were referencing Scott Frost and Nick Saban in the same conf- uh, conversation just because uh, of that you know that that confidence that they have and that presence that you know commands attention and it commands people to listen and given his track record you have every reason to believe what he says he's never failed in anything in his life you go back to his days as a high school quarterback in wood river um as a shot put thrower and a hurdler and you know he he's a champion in everything he's done at nebraska um you know he had bill walsh recruit him out of high school when bill walsh was in the the prime of his coaching career at stanford and um, you know, then he went to Nebraska, won the title, and uh, had a great NFL career. He's worked around the best. So, you know, everything he's seen and done, I mean, it's like he's been blessed to have it all come together for him now at his alma mater. It's like he's been getting ready for this moment his entire life. And, and I, I feel like he's never been more ready now with the experience that he's been able to learn as a young coach. Um, and, and, and now, you know, th- those two years, yeah, everybody – you know, it would have been nice to have him be the coach over Mike Riley. But um, at that time three years ago, you know, maybe he wasn't all the way ready. I think maybe that time that he got at Central Florida mm-hmm. uh, just helped him get ready. And it obviously cleared the leadership out and got it all set up because I don't think, you know, with Sean Eichhorst and Harvey Perlman, he would have come here. And now it's it just set up. And I feel like the leadership, Robin, has never been – in a better place than it's been right now in Nebraska. You still have Tom Osborne now involved. You have Bill Moose, who, you know, is the perfect AD at a place like Nebraska. You have Scott Frost. You have Ronnie Green, who kind of just stays in the background. He's not even trying to, you know, get himself. He's not Harvey Perlman. He wants to worry about the university. He doesn't want to worry about um, making major football decisions. So Hank it, Bounds, too. And Hank Bounds is a football guy. He's a dude. Yeah, so you've got – the, the perfect leadership set up now for Scott Frost to succeed. And, and you know, it's it just set up right now. And um, you, the expectations are going to be high. They're always going to be high. But he understands that, and he's not going to be overwhelmed by it. And he's not just speaking lip service. Well, and Frost said it himself that, you know, go back to 2011. You know, obviously he – 
had a potential chance to come back to Nebraska as one of, you know, Bo's co-coordinators, and it just wasn't right. It didn't feel right. Uh, you know, for one, he, he didn't want to share a co-coordinator. Well, he was not, not going to be a play caller. Yeah, and so basically it would be kind of this just obscure role. And two, more importantly, um, he didn't believe in the leadership in place. And obviously uh, the, the higher-ups um, in that, the University of Nebraska and Nebraska Athletics um, had made some very questionable decisions over the past years to where Scott Frost has said blatantly, looking from afar, um, he was getting upset and frustrated by the year that uh, Nebraska, quote, kept making a left turn at Albuquerque uh, and not ever finding their true identity. And so, you know, I think that even if, you know, that opportunity was a little bit more legitimate, he wouldn't want to come here because he didn't believe in what was going on uh, at the top at Nebraska. Well, that obviously all changed, and that was the reason why he came back. Um, he had a very good situation at Central Florida. He had very good alternative offers, you know, at other power conference, Tennessee, power schools. Yeah, uh, but you know, the, the timing was right. It couldn't have set up any better, and that's just kind of been the theme of this whole transition is that everything is just aligning perfectly. The stars, uh, the galaxy, the universe, all that stuff is perfectly aligning for this to be um, the final, or I guess the, the getting back Nebraska finally to where they need to be, uh, where it's been a long time coming. All right, well, we're going to talk more about Big Ten Media Days here throughout the entire show. Um, in our next segment here, uh, we're going to discuss a comment Scott Frost made about Wisconsin that really got Husker fans going here as uh, we get ready for this 2018 season. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. We're doing what we think it's going to take to knock them off. Um, got a lot of respect for them. Um, I've said this a bunch, Barry Alvarez is a Nebraska guy, and a lot of what Wisconsin doing is, is, is doing is the Nebraska model. They've been out nebraska Nebraska, and we're here to fix that. Scott Frost mentioning that Wisconsin is out nebraska Nebraska. Uh, when you hear something like that, what's your take? You know what, I, I was trained in Nebraska. You know, I, I, I idolized Bob Devaney and uh, a, a lot of the things and principles and things that I believe in in football, I learned there. Uh, you know, but I also learned some from Hayden Fry and also from, from Lou Holtz. But uh, the walk-on program, I, you know, there's no question. I said that as soon as I went there. We've emphasized it, much like Devaney and Coach Osborne did uh, back in, in Nebraska. Um, style of play, you know, we've, we felt the only way we could win in, uh, at Wisconsin it, it was, was to be physical and, and beat people with our lines, particularly our offensive line. So, you know, Nebraska did that. Uh, we, we never went to the offensive style of it or the option attack as they did back in those days. But as far as playing physical um, and trying to be, be tough up front, run the football, stop the run, field position, all those things, things that I learned, I, I did that in high school. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Man, I'd love to just sit down with Barry Alvarez, Robin, and just have a a glass of scotch and a steak because you know that guy has a few stories and no doubt um, as you heard there from Barry Alvarez and Scott Frost welcome back to the Husker online show and uh, leads us to our next topic here um, kind of a somewhat controversial um, statement that Scott Frost said that a lot of Nebraska fans have really been saying for a number of years that Wisconsin has been out Nebraska-ing Nebraska um, and you know I think it never was more evident in the fourth quarter the Huskers were tied 17 all uh, the Badgers scored was it 28 unanswered or 21 unanswered to, to close out the Huskers mm -hmm. in Memorial Stadium yep. um, in front of the 97 team that Scott Frost 
quarterback to a national championship. Um, all of it was on the ground. They stopped throwing the football. Um, they out-physicaled Nebraska at the line of scrimmage. And, you know, if Nebraska wants to get quote-unquote back, it starts with beating Wisconsin in the West. They are the top dogs of the division. Barry Alvarez has had a stranglehold on the Big Ten uh, with how the Badgers have gone about now under Paul Christ. And, and they are a team that's picked to win as many as 12 games this year. Uh, they're a team that could win all 12 of their games on their schedule, be in the playoff discussion. And, you know, for Nebraska, I think getting over that Wisconsin hump is where it starts. It's not going to happen overnight, but that's where it starts. Yeah, and I guess what's interesting is the, the phrase Nebraska-ing, which I personally am going to use as much as possible. It's hard to say. Uh, yeah, Nebraska-ing. Uh, is, you know, it goes – there's so many different layers to it. Um, it is a full program – culture is what it encompasses in my opinion and you know, Barry did a good job of lining out what what it means what Scott Frost meant by that uh, you know obviously it starts with you know establishing your identity um, knowing what you want to be as a football program recruiting to it and building upon it year after year and Wisconsin has done that is better than anybody uh, and then two it, it comes down to you know having things like the walk-on program and you know utilizing your in-state talent and getting kids that are fully 100% on board with being a part of your program and doing everything they possibly can to help you succeed uh, but it goes you know even beyond that too I mean it starts with strength and conditioning you know a guy like Zach Duvall you know Husker Power Roots um, who's making uh, instant impact with you know reshaping guys bodies you know since the day they got here uh, you know that is kind of the ground floor of it all and then you know a guy like Dave Ellis you know coming back in the nutrition program uh, from you know his days you know back with the you know the Husker power of old. Uh, I mean, those are the types of things that, you know, help you establish that physicality and that style of play that you want to have. Um, and they're going to use the sports science uh, facility, which has basically been untouched for the last three years. Uh, they're going to make that a resource where they can, you know, figure out how to continue to make players better and do things um, to maximize each individual player's potential. So, I mean, it is a, a wide-ranging uh, meaning of what Nebraska-ing is, and, Nebraska and Scott Frost is already well on his way uh, to backing up that claim of catching up with Wisconsin in that regard. And Robin, Barry Alvarez is an interesting character in his own right. He is a Nebraska guy. He played for Bob Devaney. Um, he coached high school football at one time in Lexington. Um, so he's got a lot of history and tradition and roots tied to this state. But I feel like, you know, there's the conspiracy theories out there around Barry Alvarez that um, it, I use the analogy. He was like the New York mob boss putting a weak leader in New Jersey on purpose. He led Nebraska to Sean Eichhorst. Um, and maybe he thought Sean was going to be great here, uh, but he was not a strong leader to handle this place. Um, you know, he played an impact on maybe the, the Mike Riley hire because, you know, Sean Eichhorst um, consulted maybe with Barry Alvarez and Paul Chris, who left Pittsburgh that same year to go to Wisconsin when Barry Alvarez moved out Gary Anderson. It was like a big coach swap, if you remember how that all played out. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, if you, if you go on the Red Seas Girls, there's a sector of Husker fans that, you know, Barry Alvarez maybe played a factor in putting Nebraska back a few steps the last few years with the Eichhorst hire which led to the Riley hire, which kind of put Nebraska on the back end. But you can also argue Barry Alvarez played as big of an impact of getting Nebraska in the Big Ten as anybody mm -hmm. as he was a loud voice 
that got in front of Jim Delaney and was a huge advocate to get the Huskers in the conference. Well, that's what makes this conversation so much different now with Bill Moose in play. Uh, you know, obviously, there's, he's 100% on board with what Scott Frost wants to do, but uh, he's the type of guy that is going to do those next steps to help Nebraska along in this process, but specifically um, you know, moving the pieces around to expand the roster, getting that up to 150 players. He said publicly multiple times that that is something – he fully intends to do. Uh, it's just a matter of you know working around Title IX laws and um, you know adjusting other sports uh, to allow for it. But um, I mean, when you have an athletic director that is completely in line with the thinking of your head coach, that's where it starts, and that's what makes Barry Alvarez so great. Is all of his coaches you know have his full support, and he's going to do everything possible to help that football program win. Uh, and so I think with Bill Moose, you know, obviously. Time to and he's a football guy yeah, too. Barry Alvarez guy. played Division or uh, Bill Moose played Division One football. Got two boys that played Division One football. The guy knows the game and he knows what it takes to win. He's and, a dude. Yeah, and he, and he can relate. Uh, the dudes that. are back in charge at Nebraska. Exactly. The lawyers are out and the dudes are back. I like that. <laughs> well, and I mean, I'm a. I, I, I mean, who doesn't want that? I mean, who who wants like overcalculated decision thinking because of being sued i mean yep. it's you can't run you can't run it like you can't that. let liability dictate how you run a football program no. and that's what Sean Eichhorst did i mean i'm sure he had some good intentions with some of the things he did but they weren't in the best interests of the football program you know he was taking the safe route more often than not and you don't win with the safe route you win by you know going out and doing having a plan and doing everything possible to execute it and so far uh, over the first seven months, that's exactly what this uh, athletic administration and what this football program has done. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. And final thoughts here as we just discussed the Big Ten West. Uh, I want to get on Iowa here just for a bit. Um, it, you know, Iowa is another team. I think with the schedule this year, if there's anybody in the West that can knock off Wisconsin, it's the Hawkeyes. They only draw one difficult game from the East. That's Penn State. Wisconsin plays two. Nebraska draws three. Um, so if, if the Hawkeyes could get the head-to-head, and I believe the game's in Iowa City this yep, year, yep. Um, they could win that division with a 7-2 and two type tiebreaker or even, you know, they, they have the real potential. So, um, you know, Iowa's the team, I think, in the weeds that could knock off Wisconsin. And, um, you know, there's talk that Kirk Ferentz, within the next year or two, he might step down and hand it over to his son Brian. I know that's long been in discussion. So, Keep your eyes on Iowa and kind of how that plays out this year. It's the schedule, I think. I mean, they're they're a good team. You know, they're, they're typical Iowa they're team. They're an eight-win-ish type team. Right, but with that schedule, that could lead to, you know, a couple more wins than it normally would get. And they have a quarterback in place, Nathan Stanley, who – is going to be good. I mean, as far as Iowa quarterback standards are concerned. And they do lose a lot, though. Uh, He's only the second underclassman captain in history. Wow. So that, that says everything you need to know. And I know the Iowa media that we were talking to is really high on him as well. So, um, But Iowa loses a lot in the trenches, you know, as far as scholarship returning players. So there are some question marks there. They just lost a starting safety to a late transfer. And so, uh, you know, they have some issues to address. But, you know, as we've talked about with Nebraska this season – scheduling can dictate a lot you know regardless of what your team makeup is um, who you play has just as much of an impact on that and I would definitely benefits with uh, the weaker year in the scheduling cycle yeah week one though they open with northern Illinois and uh, they are the Huskies are picked to maybe win the max so that's a tough opener out of the gates for a team that doesn't really have a running back yet so mm-hmm. keep your eyes on that week one opener but um, circle September 22nd that game is the same day Nebraska plays Michigan. Big Ten opening weekend, the Hawkeyes will host Wisconsin 
in Iowa City. So um, they play their two biggest divisional rival games besides Nebraska, week one, week two in the conference. Wisconsin, then Minnesota, bing, bang. So it will be real, you know, we'll, we'll learn a lot about the West just over those first two weeks. All right, when we come back, um, we are going to shift the discussion over to roster management. Nebraska continues uh, to, to make moves on this roster. They added Trey Neal this last week. We'll hear from Scott Frost on that and discuss just the players they've added here in a short amount of time next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Trey's going to be great for us. Um, we got to fix the culture at Nebraska. We've gone a long way toward doing that. Uh, one of the rooms that needs some leadership and some help is the defensive back room. Um, we love Trey. We love all those kids at UCF. Uh, I wish them nothing but the best. Uh, you know, Trey graduated or is going to graduate, hopefully, and, and join our football team. And uh, that's a big piece. It's a guy that already knows our system. It's a guy that we care about, a guy that can make all the calls and provide leadership for us in the back end, and he's a good player. Uh, so it, that, that's a big addition for us, and it, it's going to give us flexibility and leadership in the back end. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show, this special Big Ten Media Days edition. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus is somewhere in the Dominican Republic uh, <laughs> wrapping up his vacation, so we'll hear from Nate next week. But wanted to get on this topic. Players added for Nebraska. Trey Neal, the latest addition to this roster, as uh, he is going to join Nebraska as a graduate transfer. It's a story we had first on Husker Online Friday. Kind of broke out of the blue for a lot of people. Nobody saw this coming. I know Josh Heupel, though, at UCF said they knew in June that Trey Neal was going to grad transfer. He was the fourth leading tackler on UCF's team last year, their second leading tackler returning. Uh, but according to Scott Frost, was actually not in a position to start this year with Randy Shannon, a new D coordinator, just a change in uh, leadership, change in philosophy. Um, he wasn't going to maybe have the same role, wanted to go elsewhere. Well, perfect situation at Nebraska. The secondary, as you heard Scott Frost say, is maybe the biggest question on this team, not only with players, but just the culture of that room. So what have they done to fix that culture? They added Deontay Williams, a junior college transfer earlier this year from Mississippi, Will Jackson, another junior college transfer corner, and now Trey Neal, uh, Moses Bryant now listed as well as a defensive back, a very highly sought-after walk-on. I almost consider him like a scholarship-type guy in this class. So they've, they've done a lot of movement to kind of change that room bringing in new recruits, new transfers, and train Neil Robin the latest. Yeah, that, I think the most telling part about this discussion is Frost saying that the, sec, the defensive backfield was something that needed to be addressed in a major way, not only in terms of talent, but in terms of leadership. Um, you know, obviously that's a group that had its plenty of issues last year. And going into the spring, you know, from the, basically the day he took over, Frost pointed to that, you know, back end of the defense as uh, one of the major points of concern just because of the lack of numbers they had and, um, you know, obviously the, the performance uh, problems they had in the previous season. Uh, they've been taking some big steps, and Trey Neal is definitely one of the biggest because he's probably a guy that's going to factor in. If not in that starting role, he's going to be the first guy in that rotation. Um, you know, and he knows the defense. He has an understanding of what they want to do and the philosophies that Eric Chenander and Travis Fisher want from that position. Um, that's going to go a long way, too. You know, you talk about a massive transition schematically um, just as far as 
playing defense, having someone who has 18 career starts with his staff uh, is going to be a, a lot, a tremendous resource for these coaches. Uh, being a coach on the field, uh, and you pair him along with a guy like Aaron Williams, who um, is one of the smarter players you're going to come around, that is pretty good veteran leadership um, suddenly uh, kind of helping spearhead this turnaround in the defensive backfield. So I expect him to have a major role uh, and is probably as good of a late addition at this you know point in the calendar as you're going to get. Yeah, it, you know, when he makes comments like that, it's like, who does he not like in that room? I, mean, I think Lamar Jackson is the easy target for a lot of fans just because his body language over the years and some of the comments Bell Moose made, he was kind of one of the players called out the way he wore his uniform. I think that's one guy that maybe they're not as enamored with, but they almost have to play him by default. I think they want to push him with competition uh, more than anything. Um, then you have Eric Lee. Um, I don't know what the situation is there, but you, I just don't think they're that high on him right now. Uh, yeah. DiCaprio Boodle, um, you know, is, is looks to be in a position to play. Tony Butler, I don't think he's a guy that's going to play. No. Jojo Doman, um, you know, injury prone. He's still not healthy. So the room is borderline disastrous. Um, you know, Antonio Reed – it's hard to know their thoughts on him right now if they're really enamored with him. But you could see Will Jackson, Deontay Williams, and Trey Neal, the three Juco transfer-type guys, come in and be starters in that secondary. Yeah, and look at some of the freshmen coming up the ranks too. I Two mean, particularly, Cam Jones yep. and Cam Taylor. I wrote about it in my 3-2-1 yep. a day, yep. having great summers. Cam Jones is a safety. Cam Taylor is a um, cornerback. Corner, yep. And so, I mean, there's going to be a – complete overhaul i think in that whole secondary rotation and you know, a guy like eric lee um you know he, he's gonna have to pick it up in a hurry here you know antonio reed's probably maybe not so much in that discussion but still i mean you, when you bring in a guy like a, a trey neal uh, that changes the dynamics of that secondary rotation so um this is a wake-up call and you know what, what was not a surprise really when you look back at the comments these coaches made this spring uh, you know, at the end of spring ball, you know, most every position coach had good things to say about the progress their respective units had made, um, you know, over the first 15 practices, you know, that they, they were starting to get it, you know, we're, we're, out, we're coming together. You didn't necessarily hear that from Travis Fisher. In fact, he said, you know, he was more critical than anything. He said, we're still not intercepting passes. We're still not attacking. We're too hesitant. Uh, and, you know, those are things that with this style of play that they want this defense to have, you cannot you know, you just can't do those things. I mean, you cannot be hesitant. You have to be um, attacking, no fear of failure, all that good stuff. And so um, they're bringing in guys that they think have that makeup. And clearly Trey Neal is probably the most obvious of those. But uh, you look at the freshmen they recruited and guys like Will Jackson that they intentionally brought in late in the process, um, they are clearly making it a concerted effort to change the entire makeup of that defensive backfield. And I think it's going to ruffle some feathers here uh, over the next couple months. Well, and chew on this stat, Robin. Nebraska has brought in – Five Division One transfer players and five junior college transfer players. Over Mike Riley's entire three years, he brought in one Division One transfer, Tanner Lee, and no junior college players. Yeah, that's nuts. And so you, the overall in, what, 200 and – Ten times more – over just one year that's nuts and in you know the 230 some days they've been here in lincoln they have added 51 new players by a walk-on transfer and scholarship players i mean that is insane i don't i don't ever remember anything remotely close to that uh, as far as a one well, season roster turnaround bo Pelini's first year was he, it up there yeah he, he brought in a maximum recruiting class with 20 he, he brought in 50 new players his first year to an 08 because okay. um, they brought in just a way too big of a walk-on class with 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 the um, 
recruiting class. They didn't bring in the transfers. This, what, what makes this one different to me is the JUCO paired with the transfers. When mm-hmm. you can get a Trey Neal, a Noah Bedrill, a Breon Dixon, Vahavanuku, Vahavanuku, and I'm missing one more of the Division One guys they brought in. But um, you know the Division One transfer element of the players they've been able to bring into this program. Um, we've just never seen roster management go down like this before well it shows that this staff has a very specific plan uh, of what they want to do and a very specific idea of the players they want in place to operate it and you know, we even talked about Manuku yet uh, you know Mick Stoltenberg at media days had great things to say about him he's a really interesting guy because he's in his mid-20s uh, and actually medically retired from football due to injuries but he is back and apparently looking as good as ever um, he's doing all the strength and conditioning stuff with the rest of the defensive linemen uh, Mick said that the guy benches a house um, and he's not he's a big dude but he's not sloppy he's lean and he looks like an athlete so um, there was some depth concerns on that defensive line especially at nose tackle but uh, with Vanuku and you know some of the gains that a guy like Carlos Davis has made on his um, just weight and strength uh, I think that you feel a whole lot better about the defensive line so uh, just going back to the the new additions I mean they're really plugging in new players that are going to make immediate impacts particularly on the defensive side of the ball which uh, as we all know was a major point of need well and speaking of big dudes uh, we're going to talk about strength and conditioning gains next year as um, the program heights and weights came out uh, updated and you'll be floored by some of the gains that Nebraska's players have made here over the course of a winter and a summer that's next here you're listening to the Husker online show you're listening to the Husker online show your authority on Nebraska athletics it isn't about how I want him to live. I want him to listen to everything Zach Duvall says. He changed our team in Florida. I think he's the best in the business. Uh, I've already seen changes on our team at Nebraska. He's basically taken the old approach and, and what he learned in the Husker Power days and modernized it. We got a science lab in East Stadium that's state of the art that we haven't really used. Uh, we're putting that to use now to make sure that our athletes are healthy, that they're getting every advantage that they possibly can. We used to have the best of the best. and. We haven't been utilizing. We're gonna now. So I trust Zach. I don't try to interfere and micromanage that. I know what he's gonna do for our football team. And uh, that's an area that needed vast improvement. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show as we continue to throw out more red meat delivered by Scott Frost to the base. <laughs> I mean, it was just a freaking medium rare steak thrown out left and right by Scott Frost at Big Ten Media Days. As I, I can't tell you how excited Nebraska fans are um, and, and more here as we talk strength and conditioning. And uh, we really got, you know, we haven't seen the team, Robin, um, you know, other than the players in Media Days, but the true tangible evidence of the gains this team has made in the weight room. And, you know, sometimes I, I always feel like they, they weren't always updating the program, the heights and weights really that accurately over the last few years, because mm-hmm. there'd be some guys that were just not even close to being accurate or right, but they finally have updated it. And man, when you see some of the gains these guys have made over the summer and the winter, it's fairly eye opening. It's unbelievable. I mean, you got, several players who have added uh, according to the media guide uh, upwards of 30 35 pounds of weight and considering all the praise we've heard from uh, the strength and conditioning program and Zach Duvall you can probably guess that's pretty good weight Uh, I mean just across the board um, you know there's I guess 
we're talking with Mick Stoltenberg, you know, about the strength and conditioning in general and just who some guys are that, you know, he had really impressed him. He first came to mind was Ben Stilley, who um, going into the spring, or I guess at the end of last year, um, weighed in at 255 pounds. He's up to 290 now, and that is, I know for a fact, good weight because Zach Duvall has posted pictures and videos of him, and there might not be an ounce of fat on that guy. Uh, Carlos Davis, who was 295 last year, is up to 325. Uh, Damian Daniels, who was at 310, is up to 340. Brendan Hymas, who was at 280, is at 300 pounds. Uh, Gerald Foster, who was at 310, is up to 335. And so just the the, the trenches certainly uh, you know stand out as some of the biggest gains, but it doesn't stop there. Tyjon Lindsay was 160 pounds. He's weighing in at 200 pounds now. Um, Mikhail Wilbon is up to 225, 230 pounds. Uh, and, you know, I mean, Adrian Martinez, a true freshman, has only been here for, for a few months came in weighing right around 200 pounds he's up 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 around 218 220 which was the exact same weight scott frost was when he was a player here so the gains just in terms of putting on mass have been outstanding but what's going to be interesting to watch is uh how that added weight and muscle are they able to still maintain the speed necessary for this offense and i guess defense too uh, to execute at the level that they want because obviously i mean that was their whole thing at central florida the uc fast uh and yes it's good to put on a bunch of weight but you know remember when nebraska joined the big 10 under bo pelini the bunch of dudes beefed up big time and they got really slow and they lost their edge a little bit in some of those speed factors yeah, like nick gates is the perfect he gained weight but man it was it not good, good weight. weight so i mean I'll, so gerald foster you know he's one of the guys we saw and apparently he's made massive uh gains and he didn't look fat i mean he he actually you know looked fairly trim for an offensive lineman uh and so i mean if he's the example that we have so far uh i would say that most of this weight is probably going to be pretty darn good weight you know and i've listened to zach Duvall talk um at the clinic this year and the the real core you know principle of his program is replace fat with muscle and you measure the growth by explosion which is in the vertical jump so when you see a guy replace that bad weight with muscle and then their vertical maybe increases by like four or five inches, that right there tells you it's the good kind of weight. You know, because you can gain good weight and, 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 and get heavier like these guys are doing, um, you know, and, and it's a good thing. It's not slowing these guys down. If you're bigger but yet stronger and faster all of a sudden, Tyjon Lindsay is the one that jumped off to me. He's 200 pounds Almost 40 now. pounds. That's nuts. Well, and I don't think Tyjon Lindsay ever even had a lift weights. I think he was one of those guys that was so athletically gifted genetically and fast that he didn't really need to add that power to his, mm -hmm. his arsenal. He could just run by everybody. And and now he is training, and, and, and you're seeing that with a guy like Tyjon Lindsay and, and, and what he's been able to accomplish. Yeah, and so, I mean, it's not just weight. I mean, guys are adding significant strength gains, too. Gerald Foster said currently there are five different players tied for the team high this offseason in the squat max uh, at 765 pounds and that's not even counting the guys there's several others uh, that are, been, are squatting over 700 uh, Tanner Farmer John Raritan Freedom Akamaladun and then Carlos and Khalil Davis have all tied for 765 and that's a three rep maximum three rep, yeah. that's not just one you know bang it out on some bad well, form. You, you don't single you don't ever single rep a squat max that's dangerous yeah so I mean that that's kind of where the I mean that's a pretty tangible uh, point of the gains these guys are making i mean when you have that many guys i mean i remember freedom akmoldun 
uh, going into the spring, he's talking about benching over, or sorry, squatting, squatting over, over seven, or seven, yeah, almost 700 pounds. He said he never would have imagined in his life lifting that much weight. And now he's up to 765 on a three rep squat. So that's, that's pretty impressive. And so, you know, you get combine those strength numbers with the weight numbers. Nebraska is all of a sudden looking like a pretty lean, mean, you know, physical big 10 team. Well, and, and then the other thing that that's going to change it up here and more is the hire of Dave Ellis. Um, and I, I don't mm-hmm. think, the common fan realizes how big this hire is for Nebraska. Dave Ellis was really, he's one of the best, if not the best nutrition guys in the, in the entire athletic world. Um, I got to know Dave a long time ago when he left Nebraska in 2001, he kind of priced himself out of it. He wanted to go out and, and, and consult and do more work um, or just being a team nutritionist, you know, he was above that, you know, as far as what they could pay him and what he could do. So he went out and he consulted the New England Patriots. He consulted, um, you name it, Carson Wentz at North Dakota State and Craig Bowles' team the last several years. He did the Green Bay Packers and worked with Aaron Rodgers. And um, you, you go down the line of all the people. He said, anyone you can think of that's really been a championship-type player, I have consulted with most of them. LeBron James invited Dave Ellis into his kitchen to break down nutrition plans with him in Akron at his house. Um, so you think about what he's going to bring. He's going to be right next to Zach Duvall in the weight room, planning the dieting and the mm-hmm. nutrition. And he said the teams that are the teams that want to do this, they're the real serious teams, the teams that want to go for championships. Because to take that next step to maybe win that extra game or two, the nutrition and how you fuel your body is really kind of the game-changing factor, and now they've got that guy here. Yeah, I mean, um, they, there's an old saying, the games are made in the kitchen. I mean, the, the workouts are part of it, but uh, if you really want to reshape the composition of your body, it starts with your diet, um, and it's probably the most important element of all of it. So you add a strength coach who is clearly having a huge impact already in just a few short months with one of the best nutrition coaches uh like you said in in the in the world as far as you know sports nutrition uh you are going to see huge tremendous changes uh, not only just this offseason but for years to come and it's going to be a standard of what a nebraska football player is going to look like um you know we've seen some you know there's been some guys that have looked like beasts like andy janovich uh, but there's also been some guys that that's questionable body makeups. And a part of that is because they didn't have the right nutrition. You can lift all you want, but it's not going to do anything to change the way, you know, your, I guess, body weight is spread out. And so, um, you know, there was some, some pretty mean looking dudes back in the nineties. And I think that we're probably going to get pretty close to replicating that here in the next few years. Well, and you know, even to a much lesser element, it's like guys like us, when we go to the gym, you could do your workout and have a great workout. But if you go eat like crap, yeah, they go eat a large pizza or something like that, um, or drink a, <laughs> case of beer the whole workout shot and I, I think you had a lot of guys robin in this program they were doing the workouts no doubt about it but they were not putting the right things in their body to maintain the what they were doing and to build off of that and now i think they're going to have that oh well, yeah and you know it goes to injuries too a lot of soft tissue injuries when you're not hydrating yourself or uh, you know having the right breakfast putting too much salt in your body yeah, breakfasts are a big deal with this staff and that started even before uh, Ellis joined the staff. I mean, the guys were, I remember Carlos Davis talking about how he never really ate a lot of breakfast. And now with these morning practices, um, he's waking up at, you know, 4.30 in the morning. And the first thing he does is go eat a good 
big healthy breakfast to get that fuel for the day and so i mean it's just little things like that that add up to huge changes i mean you had guys robin that were skipping meals yeah. and then trying to get reimbursed for it so they get money back mm-hmm. what the hell yeah okay I mean, it, it just shows shows, shows the the change in just mentality and it starts with strength and conditioning it starts with how you eat and then everything else from there builds on the football field. all right when we come back we're going to close the show with some recruiting talk and nebraska continues to uh, you know, win some key West recruiting battles. They got Nick Henrich and Messiah Newsom uh, beating out both Wisconsin and Iowa for those guys. We'll discuss that as we close the show next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. No, I got back to Nebraska and they hadn't really squatted in three years. Um, weren't lifting very much. Our guys were out of shape. I didn't see the, the passion and the unity um, the walk-on program was killed. I, I was just talking to somebody last night about my senior year and how many of those guys that started out as walk-ons, uh, by the time we were seniors, they were grown men that were ready to go out and mess some people up. That worked at Nebraska. And we've decided to take a couple different times in our program's history to take right turns at Albuquerque and go a completely different direction, and the results haven't been good. We can do it in a modern way with X's and O's that are as up-to-date and current as anywhere in the country and as good as anywhere in the country. But we can't miss on those basic building block things that that made us special, and we've been missing on them pretty bad. And welcome back here to the final segment of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Robin Washett as um, we are going to talk some recruiting here, and it's been a big week. Um, Nebraska now with nine commitments since June 1st. And that's as we're doing this show. There might be more coming here. There's a couple things brewing on campus as, as we speak. Um, quarterback Logan Smothers being the most notable. But wanted to spend this time about the other commitments. So Trey Neal comes to Nebraska as a grad transfer. We, we confirmed that Friday. Um, then later that night, I think it was, was it Friday night? or oh, I'm trying to think it was Saturday night, uh, Nick Henrich. Yeah, Saturday. Uh, Saturday night, Nick Henrich made his verbal commitment to Nebraska out of Omaha Burke, beating out Wisconsin and Iowa for his services. And then on Monday morning at Big Ten Media Days, Nebraska gets Mosiah Newsom out of Waverly, Shell Rock, Iowa. And that's big in a lot of ways uh, because Iowa, when they go after a kid from Eastern Iowa, they don't lose. And here, chew on this number. Before Messiah Newsom, since 2002, Nebraska had only gotten two verbal commitments out of the state of Iowa, John Raritan and Ben Cotton, both which were Husker legacies. You think about that. From 2002 to now, Messiah Newsom is the first non-Husker legacy recruit the Huskers have landed out of the state of Iowa. He's the first Eastern Iowa recruit Nebraska has received. Do you know, Robin? Nope. Marky Simmons. Oh, Davenport North. He ended up transferring to Iowa. I remember him well. So, in a lot of ways, pretty historical to get Messiah Newsom. And the Iowa fans have downplayed it that they backed off him. They backed off him because Eric Shenander was beating him. They could not. They could not match up. Uh, Messiah Newsom came to Lincoln six times to visit Nebraska, and Iowa kind of pulled back at that point because they knew they were going to get beat. You don't go after a girl in the bar that you know is going to tell you no. And Iowa knew Messiah Newsom was going to tell him no that Eric Shenander had a hand up on him. And I think mm-hmm. with Eric Shenander, he's different from Nebraska in the state of Iowa than we've seen ever um, because he's from eastern Iowa. His, his parents are teachers and his dad, I believe, coached. So he's very well-connected. He played at Iowa. 
So his knowledge of that state, he's going in there with a much more aggressive approach. And you know, you're you're an Iowa guy to an extent, Robin. You grew up in Iowa for a few years of your life. It's it's just not a place traditionally Nebraska's been able to go in and do this. No, and the number you just threw out the you know with the the Simmons deal. I mean, being the last you know true Iowa Eastern Iowa commit, uh, that's. That says it all. But I remember vividly when uh, Eric Shenander was talking, you know, during that introductory press conference with all the assistant coaches, and he was asked about recruiting Iowa, and he made it extremely clear from the very first day that Iowa was going to be a point of emphasis, and that they want to raid that state and get all the Iowa kids that are, you know, high, you know, power five players to Nebraska, you know, similar to what Iowa has been doing in recent years. They've been getting all the Nebraska kids or seemingly, uh, you know, more than they should. And so this is our, the first example of those efforts. Um, you know, and I don't think it's going to stop there. Uh, and all it takes is one to really shift that pendulum back the other way to where it's Iowa kind of loses that stranglehold that they had within the state. And, um, you know, the, I think that it's also worth noting that this isn't like a Western Iowa kid who grew up, you know, watching Nebraska on, you know, whatever coverage. And so it's a guy from uh, the northeastern Iowa part of the state, you know, actually probably closer to Cedar Falls, you know, where I was born and the University of Northern Iowa. And so that's a long way away. You know, that's a good five hour drive from Lincoln where to where Nebraska football really isn't talked about all that much. And so you know, those relationships clearly play. They don't like Nebraska and Eastern Iowa. No, I mean, it's, it's, you know, they're more, you know, Minnesota, you know, they're more of Iowa. They're more, you know, Illinois. I mean, they're the original Big Ten footprint. And so um, that, that I think, speaks volumes as to what the, the job that Shenander and the staff have been able to do using those Iowa connections and getting a kid of this cal- caliber who, and Sean, you can maybe speak to this more. It sounds like he thinks he sees himself as a 3-4 defensive end. And, um, you know, we have him at 260, but with the you know quick turnarounds we've seen with strength and conditioning, um, he seems to have the frame to be that prototype three four end that Nebraska is looking for. No doubt, and and that's that's where he'll be. He'll be a three four defensive end in this system. Um, you know, initially I think when he first saw his height and weight, he was like, "Is he an outside linebacker?" Yeah. No, he's going to grow into a three four D end, and I just think it sends a lot of state a big statement overall. And and then back to Henrich, um, that's a statement because this is a kid that had over twenty Division one offers. And Nebraska had kind of been a vulnerable state, you know, with with what had happened on the field last year with Mike Riley and then Noah Fant going to Iowa, Bryson Williams going to Wisconsin, Harrison Phillips going to Stanford, Drew Ott recently going to Iowa. Um, He was never offered by Nebraska, but those three I mentioned before all picked other schools over Nebraska. So the state had become kind of a vulnerable place that you could come in and steal its most valuable natural resources from. And Nebraska shut out Iowa. They shut out Wisconsin, Florida. Teams like that all came in here. Texas A&M, Oregon. Pretty much everybody but Michigan and Ohio State offer Nick Henrich. When you look at big-time programs from around the country. And, and Nebraska was able to win that battle and, and get Nick Henrich, whose dad you know, played tennis at Iowa. He grew up with an Iowa background and following the Hawkeye program. So this was a real win. And for all those people that question – Barrett Rude, was he ready to be a full-time assistant coach? Mm-hmm. Here's your crow right now. Barrett Rude has beaten Wisconsin and Iowa now, both for Will Honus and now Nick Henrich. Um, so you, you go down the line of the guys that Barrett has got. He has really been, I think, when you break down the staff overall, one of the surprise, surprise uh, recruiters on this staff because, uh, you know, just the, the work level that he's done. And, you know, Jackson Hanna, another one, a four-star linebacker out of Nashville, Tennessee, Barrett Root has gotten three 
four-star caliber. I say Nick Henrich is a four-star. I don't care what Josh Hemmel has him at right now. He's he's a high three-star. I think he'll end up being a four. But you got Honus, Henrich, Jackson Hanna. That's three four-star type linebackers. Barrett Roots got in Nebraska in about six months. And so, you know, going back to just the in-state aspect of this, I mean, obviously Nebraska had gotten a couple other in-state commits before Nick Henrich, but the fact that he had the Iowa attention, the Wisconsin attention, and other, you know, those you know, big-time schools recruiting him, uh, and, and Nebraska was able to get him out of the Omaha metro area, does that make that situation even more impressive i mean the fact that nebraska's recent history with omaha kids and how many they've lost and you know the fact that they're able to go and beat out the best of the best in the big 10 among others to keep a kid in state i mean how how much i guess the importance in the grand scheme of recruiting the state does this carry well it's it's huge because this is not the omaha i grew up with i grew up in a different omaha where every high school in the city ran the nebraska offense every coach you know, followed Nebraska. Every kid had Nebraska bedrooms growing up. Omaha's not like that anymore, especially when you get out of the suburbs of Gretna and Elkhorn. When you get into Omaha, the OPSs in the city, a lot of those kids really aren't Nebraska fans. Their parents aren't, you know, going to Husker watch parties. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's really shifted in that city where it wasn't always that way when I was a kid. I mean, everybody, you know, was dialed into Nebraska. So they had a work to get Nick Henrich. And if they could get Chris Hickman and make it a clean sweep of the state of Nebraska this year of the top five players, that would be a humongous statement to get Iowa and Wisconsin to maybe back off the borders and say, we're not even going to waste our time because Scott Frost, when he wants an in-state kid, we're going to, he's going to get him, And it's probably not worth our time and our resources now to go into Nebraska because Scott Frost and Barrett Rood are going to be too hard to beat in there. Yeah, I know fans have been clamoring for that for a long, long time, and I agree with them. I think if you want to get Nebraska back to what it used to be, getting the Nick Henriches of the world, getting the Chris Hickmans of the world, uh, the Garrett Snodgrass, the Garrett Nelsons, I mean, that's priority number one. You have to get the best your state has to offer if you want to make Nebraska football what it was because those kids embody what you want this program to be. Well, that wraps it up here for another edition of the Husker Online Show as Next week, Nebraska will hold their preseason media day press conference on Thursday after. Is it Thursday afternoon? Yes. Thursday, Thursday. afternoon. Opening practice will be Friday. Um, so it all begins next week, and we will get you ready for that on another edition of the Husker Online Show. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.